welcome to Death Defying Discussions, another episode. I'm uh, Michael Williams, and I'm joined here by my co-host, Diane DeVivo. Hi, Diane. Hey, Michael. Good morning. How's things in Boston or Melrose? Melrose, yeah. Well, close enough to Boston. Um, actually, it's a gorgeous day. I have to say, this is a good day. Uh, it's it's uh, a little on the cool side. The sun's out, the sky is blue, the birds are singing, you know? Yeah. How yeah. Be it's the same. It's the same here. I'm I'm over in Hamilton, Ontario, in Canada, um, and I think we're enjoying the the same great big weather system. So it's it's quite nice. Very a little on the cool side, I must say. But yeah, nice. yeah, it is here too. Diane, we uh, we're going to talk today about what we do and why we do it. Uh, I don't know about you, but people. Um, Sometimes they just act really surprised, you know. I, for a long time, I, w- I was uh, I was a teacher. Um, I taught in uh, post secondary and secondary education. Um, they've known me as a storyteller. I've been a professional storyteller for for a long time. So then suddenly, when I tell people, "Oh, I'm an end of life planning facilitator," they're like, "What?" You know, their mouths kind of their jaw drops and and they go like, why? And is that's kind of weird and morbid and stuff like that. What, what about you? What do what do people say to you? Oh, the same thing happens to me. Um, I, I spent, you know, the better part of my life working for the federal government. And when I and, and never, never talked about death or dying. I mean, we didn't really it wasn't part of what I did. Um, and even post retirement, I was I was doing things like teaching motorcycling. So. It wasn't something that that um, I ever was expressed an interest in, and so people are surprised that I've gotten yeah. into. It. On the other hand, I've been a trainer and did a lot of training and public events, public speaking, and that sort of thing in my career and post, uh, uh, you know, retirement. And I'm a certified life coach, so this is just so it's the same with you being a storyteller. It's like yeah. You have the skills. It's just the topic, the the yeah. subject of what we do. I think that that surprises people. Yeah, exactly, exactly. We're we're still we're dealing with people, and and we're we you know there is an element of coaching uh, in our work. There's an educational aspect yeah. to it as well. We're we're informing people, educating people about end of life matters. Uh, everything from you know from funeral planning to you know advanced uh, care planning and and so on. Um, and we'll, yeah, you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about that. But let's maybe pick apart a little bit, you know, like why why we're here and how how we got into this, because um, it is an interesting question. And um, you know, was it was it just a, a kind of a, a sudden change, or like you suggested, it's really just an extension of of something that you know that we have been involved in. Um, you know, really for for a long time. But I wanted to start by just letting people know if they don't know, is that the death services industry or whatever we want to call it, has been expanding, um, you know, certainly over the last 20 20 years, as um, the the boomer generation, um, I think think that includes anyone born from about 1946 to 1965, something like that. And the the first boomers are kind of you know 75 now you know they're they're in, into their 70s. Uh, I'll be 70 this year, um, so I'm certainly in that generation. And our generation is expanding the elderly population. So um, it's it's no surprise um, that um, that the the death services would be increasing along with it. Uh, we're living longer, you know, which is which is another thing. Um, 
And uh, so we're more, you know, we have been very concerned about um, the kind of services that are available to us as we get into to old age. And the generation behind us, would, would that be the millennials or Gen X? I'm not Gen Z. I'm not sure now about all the labels, but yeah. But yeah, if you're listening, if you know, if you're maybe in your 40s or 50s, I think this uh, program will still be interesting to you um, because end of life planning facilitators like ourselves uh, can be very helpful to you when it comes to planning your future. And um, just like like life insurance, um, you know, agents will help you with life insurance. So a lawyer can help you put a will together. But what we do, which I think is unique, is kind of hold people's hand through the, the whole process um, so that they have a better understanding of it. Um, and well, we actually help people save time and money. Um, when it comes to putting their uh, their plans uh, together. And I'd like to say one, one other thing, Michael, that, that I think um, you're right, that, that we are living longer and the baby boom generation is fairly large and up in years now. But I also think you're absolutely right that those in their 40s and 50s are actually going to find this, um, what we do, helpful as well, because mm -hmm. they're dealing with us. Um, they're the ones who are having to... Um, deal with the with we as baby boomers who get older uh, mm. in terms of end of life stuff and it could be anything from trying to move somebody out of a you know you know a huge house into a smaller uh, you know a parent or a grandparent into a smaller domain residence and what do you do with all the stuff that you've accumulated yeah. over the um, just talking about uh, having a good will or it advanced the advanced care plans that people should have what do what do your parents grandparents you know want uh, yeah. for their end of yeah. life so this covers multiple generations as it does well. it, it does and and along with the with the growing um, older population um, you see uh, a kind of a growing uh, service industry. So we've seen a rise in not just end-of-life planning facilitators, but healthcare mm -hmm. consultants, funeral celebrants, death doulas, um, uh, funeral directors. You know, and the funeral services are expanding and, um, and you know, care. offering new services and so on. Yeah, and, and palliative care. I was gonna yes. Say, hospice services. Um, yeah. You're listening to Death Defying Discussions with Diane DeVivo and Michael Williams. Find the podcast on Apple, Google, Spotify, and wherever you download your favorite podcasts. So, so let, let's let's maybe kind of I don't know go back to some sort of beginning, Diane. What you know when you look at the kind of trajectory of your life, what what steered you towards this work? You know, it's interesting. When I look back on it, I realized there was kind of a trigger point for very early on that I never, I didn't recognize. And that was when my mother died. Um, and my father had died three years before. Mm -hmm. So everything he left everything to her. So there was no problem. He had a handwritten will, but it wasn't an issue, you know, because he had, he uh, just, his will just left everything to her. So legally there wasn't a problem. With my my mother did a will, um, and uh, but you know it was just a will. There was nothing mm -hmm. else really, and a power of attorney, I, I believe, as I recall. But when she died unexpectedly, um, we suddenly had this house that she still lived in that we had virtually grown up in, 
with all this stuff? And mm -hmm. what did she want? You know, what were we supposed to do with it? And none of us lived in an immediate area that my mother lived in. So when we went to clean it out, I remember my sister and I talking and saying, we kind of made a pact with each other that, mm -hmm. and I have two brothers, they were not as involved um, at that point, but um, we made a pact that we weren't that we weren't going to allow our stuff to get out of hand. That we were going to start keeping a lot of stuff. That we, my mother had these little kind of silly collections. I say silly, that that's a judgment. I realize, but um, it was things like she would collect spoons, little spoons. You know, these these touristy spoons. Yeah. Places. Yeah. Yeah. And then she just loved bells, and so she had this bell collection. So when any of us would travel, and I was traveling overseas, one of my brothers was doing that. We would try and find a bell from the places that we went. So now we had this spoon collection and this bell collection that we knew were important to her. They meant nothing to us. They really mm. meant nothing to us. Mm. And we just looked at each other, my sister and I, and said, we're just not going to do this to each other. You know, we're not we're not going to do this. Well, you fast forward, we, we got through that and you fast forward later. And of course, we are doing this to each other because here we are. We all have too much stuff. But I when I when I retired from the government and then I moved from Virginia to Boston to be closer to my siblings, um, I redid my will. And again, it was just like a normal will with the power of attorney and the healthcare proxy and all of that. I didn't really think about what I kind of wanted done. And um, as a coach, I was a certified coach. I became certified as a coach. And I had a coaching practice that kind of it was becoming a little dull for me and I really didn't think I was serving my clients well mm. so I I started closing out with clients and ending and I thought you know I'm going to take a year off from coaching and if I find something else to do then you know part-time then I'll do it and in that year that I took off uh, a coach friend of mine posted something on, on Facebook about this end of life this before I go solutions that Jane Duncan Rogers was uh, you, you could take this course on, um, uh, it's called Before I Go, and you know, you lay out, she laid out you know, what you should be looking at, what your end of life plan should be. And I thought, well, this sounds good, I'll take it. Well, I fell in love with it, and I thought, wow, she's done so much work on, there's a workbook, and it, things mm -hmm. I'd never thought about. You know, what happens to my computer passwords? I'd never yeah. thought about that. What about, um, you know, little things like if you have a funeral, what kind of music do you want at your funeral? Mm -hmm. Who do you want to be your pallbearers if that's the way you go? What are the alternatives to a funeral? And I went like, wow, this is crazy. So yeah. I, I redid my will. I did the workbook. I started thinking about some stuff. And it's it's not always easy to think about. There are some tough decisions that you need time yeah. to think about. And then I think it was about a year later, a year and a half later, um, the opportunity came up where Jane said, I'm looking for, I can't do this myself. So I'm, I'm looking for people who will help be facilitators and teach this course that you just went through. And having a training background and a coaching background, and Jane also is a coach, I thought, wow, this is kind of like right up my alley. Maybe I'd like to do this as a coach. So I took the facilitator training course and before I go solutions with Jane, that's where I met you. Um, we were buddies. They buddied us up during the course. And I guess that was how history is made between our yeah. partners. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I just realized that 
I, literally, I remembered the talking, you know, about what happened with my mother. It just triggered all of that. And right. I thought, this is what I want to do. This is what yeah. I want to do. I want to help train facilitators, which has come a little later. But I also want to have a coaching practice that helps people one-on-one, -on -one, um, you know, get their end-of-life plan together and how yeah. important and that's kind so, of the trajectory of where I Yeah. Am. So, I mean, I can see, you know, you had the, you also had the skills, you had coaching skills, <clears throat> which would lend themselves nicely to this, this work. Um, do you think that, um, I'm just trying to, you know, think of the, the kind of person that, that makes an end of life planning facilitator, the skills aside, do you think you need any particular um, personal qualities to do, to do the work? I, like, you know, let me separate the two. I think skills, um, I think anybody who has an interest in this, you don't need to be a coach or a counselor or mm. even in your case, a storyteller. I don't, mm -hmm. I don't think you need to have that experience or training. Uh, I need, you need to be curious and have an interest in it. Yeah. What I think is important in terms of who you are as a person, yeah, I do think that you do have to have some qualities. I think being curious about other people um, I think there's an element of compassion because as mm -hmm. end of life plan facilitators, you're, you're helping other people mm. do their life plans, you know, their end of life plans, I should say. So having compassion, having um, uh, a curiosity about other people and this idea that you want to help other people, you know, you mm -hmm. have a, and I will say this and it sounds trite, but you have a service mentality that yeah. you, you yeah. want to be of service to people to help yeah. them do that. I think you can be, and I may be missing one or two things here too. I mean, I think having a sense of humor is above all, you know, is, is, is important in anything that we do. But I yeah. think that idea of being of service to people and really having that, that, that empathy and that curiosity and that compassion for helping people yeah. are important traits to have. Yeah, I agree. I, I think the service element is something that, that appeals to me. I think um, maybe it's part of getting older. Um, you get to a stage where you want to, um, where you've retired, <clears throat> retired in a sense from, you know, from whatever you worked at. But um, I think, you know, as you get older, you, you do want to kind of give back in some way, whether it's through mentoring or coaching, uh, but serving in, in, in some fashion. So I think this work really does meet that for me, uh, that, that need did, to serve and, and to help others. How did you get to this point that got you into this, Michael? Uh, um, partly by, it was a little serendipity, actually. Um, although I, when I think right back, you know, I think back to childhood. I mean, obviously, I didn't know I was going to. I, you know, I wanted to be a bus driver when I was little, you know, <laughs> I just thought, so, you know, it's yeah, yeah. Well, I, I went from bus driver to astronaut too, but, um, but, uh, and, and in fact, I, I thought I might, might have a chance, you know, cause my grade eight class voted me the, to be the most likely, uh, first boy on Mars, you know, um, but that wasn't to be so, um, but I have a, I had a lifelong fascination with outer space. But I think I, I think I was, a, you know, I was a sort of sensitive kid. And um, I remember my mom saying um, she thought that I might make um, like a, a minister or something like that. I, now, I had no interest in being a, in a minister. I wasn't particularly interested in the church or that sort of thing. Um, and I became a teacher in, in, instead. Um, and, and I did counseling. I, did, I worked with, with young people for about 10 years or so. 
and then uh, and then went back to university. Um, but I've always loved I love talking. I love conversations. You know, that's why I love this podcast, you know, because we have all these interesting conversations about things that really seem to well matter to me, you know, life and death. And I think that was something that, that appealed to me. Um, I mean, I, I grew up in a home. We didn't talk about death. We didn't have these kind of conversations at all. And when my um, when my father was dying um, in, and he was in hospital, and this is well, back, back in 2004, uh, and a story I often tell um, that, that I think really kind of started me thinking along these lines was um, one evening, the doctors came to me and my dad was uh, failing and uh, his organs were failing and they wanted to put him on a dialysis machine. Um, I didn't really know what that involved, but it was obviously, you know, from the, the doctor's demeanor, it was a pretty serious um, intervention. Um, they weren't sure. It might, they said it might give him a bit more time. And anyway, I had no idea what my dad wanted because he, he was not able to communicate at that time. And so I was there. And as the oldest son, the doctors asked me. And um, time was of the essence. So I just trusted the doctors that they knew what they're doing and gave them permission. So I know I remember in the midst of them hooking him up to the wires and tubes and everything and this machine being wheeled in beside the bed. And anyway, at one point, my, my dad came around kind of realized what was going on and he yelled at all of us you know and said don't you realize i'm dying and it just all we succeeded in doing was making him very uncomfortable uh, and very unhappy and of course i felt like oh i've made the wrong decision and um it was a bit of a, it was a problematic relationship anyway that i had with my dad so this was like one more thing you know and it's like here we are at the end and i can't even get this right you know um and it didn't give him any more time. They did detach him, and he he, he died, uh, you know, a couple of days uh, after that. Um, I was fortunate enough to be with him when he when he died, so that was some consolation. But um, but I did carry that kind of guilt around for a long time, and you know, skip ahead to um, I, probably I think it was 2016, and I'm living in Scotland. I know Jane Duncan Rogers as a as a uh, like a friend. Um, Anyway, I was sitting in a, in a pub one afternoon and, a, and another friend came to me and said, do you want to go to a deaf cafe? That's what I thought he said, a deaf cafe. And I'd always been interested in sign language. And I thought, oh, this might be a kind of an opening, you know. So I said, sure. And I went with him and we went to this place and we went in and there were these people sitting around a table uh, drinking tea and having cake. And they were talking about death you know, like mortality, nothing to do with the ears. Uh, obviously, I needed to get my ears checked. So, so, uh, um, but it was fascinating. I was really fascinated by it. There were people there of all ages, and they were all talking very openly and honestly about death, the, the very thing that my family had never been able to do. And I'd really never known, you know, that many people to talk about their, you know, mortality and so on. So I was really fascinated by it, and I learned that Jane was offering a workshop and uh, was inviting people who were interested in sort of taking the ideas further. So I went along to it, and uh, I, I found it, you know, to be honest, I, I found it kind of scary, but also um, liberating. You know, liberating in the sense that uh, we were talking about something 
that whether you admit it or not, we think about all the time, you know. Um, you know, we've all been, we, at some point, we're all touched by death in some way. And, uh, and, and yet we, we kind of pretend that we're going to all live forever, you know. So I found it liberating in that sense that we could talk openly about it and that I wasn't alone, that there were men and women, you know, having the same fears and anxieties and so on. But of course, it was scary, you know, because there was this, uh, you know, kind of superstition I still had, you know, if we talk about death, you know, death will hear you. And, and it's like you're inviting him to the party, you know. So um, but but. What I found in time was that by actually acknowledging and facing up to death, it was like t sort of turning around and saying, hey, death, yeah, I know you kind of stalk all of us, you know, and none of us know the time and place in which, um, you know, our death is going to occur. But we know for certain it is going to occur at some point. So, um, so I found that, yeah, I found that kind of freeing. And I was really interested in what Jane had to offer. And, and then when she put together the Before I Go method and the program, um, yeah, I joined in. And as you said earlier, that's, that's how we met. But I think also what really prompted me was I didn't want my kids to go through what I had gone through with my dad. I wanted my kids to know what I wanted. I wanted to be able to talk about it. And I didn't want them feeling like that that they were going to make a bad decision, you know, that whatever decisions needed to be made, they would make them knowing that this is what dad wanted, you know, this is what I wanted and, um, and, and free them of any anxiety and, and uh, guilt uh, at all. So, yeah, so I think that's, that's what really prompted me to follow the, the, the course and become a facilitator. And I think at the heart of it all, you mentioned being, a, you know, about the storytelling. I, I think, I think when I look way back, I think I've always, in a sense, been interested in people's stories. And, um, I, you know, I worked as a counselor for a while, um, a teacher, I taught English, so I was in the realm of stories, uh, fascinated by, by um, you know, stories about whether they're fictional characters or real people, it didn't matter. And then later, you know, working with, with adults, um, and I worked a lot with adults um, in a storytelling capacity, uh, people suffering chronic illness, and listening to people talk about the stories of their illness. And I found that really fascinating. So, I, you know, to talk to people about mortality and the stories that they had to tell, whether about themselves or friends or, or parents, grandparents, you know, I found that absolutely fascinating. I thought, what a privilege it is to be in the company of people and making a space available and the opportunity for people to talk openly um, the very thing that I was not able to do as as a child, um, and and here now all these decades later, I get a chance to do it. So that's that's what mot has motivated and inspired me. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, it's interesting that you say you don't want your you don't want your kids to go through what you went through with your father, mm -hmm. and I don't think people think about that very often. Mm. Um, we, we think about our own mortality and we say, oh yeah, well, you know, I have this, I have these things that I want to make sure my kids get. We don't think about, um, I don't want my family members, whether it's kids or siblings or whoever is taking yeah. care of to go through either what you may have gone through like you did with your dad, or even just thinking about, um, you know, when my mother died unexpectedly about like that whole house. I mean, we, we went through the attic and we had stuff from like 
when I was in kindergarten, you know, it's kind of like stuffed animal and stuff that we had to throw away mm -hmm. because no one had gone through that attic in a while. And we had to uh -huh. do it in a very short period of time. And, and, so, and had your mother left you any instructions at all? No, none. none. No. She had a standard will. You know, and my sister was the executor and she had a power of attorney. I mean, she had all the kind of the standard stuff. Yeah. But there wasn't the, you didn't, because that was all that was expected. That was all that people, including we, thought was needed. And now I think the world has changed so much in terms of what we actually need. It's not just a will and a power of attorney and just saying to someone, you know, a healthcare proxy saying, well, you take care of, you know, you make the decisions. Yeah. Now with science and medical, medical science having, having progressed to where it is, uh, we can stay alive a lot longer on machines. Is that what yeah. we want? Yeah. You know, what about quality of life? Mm -hmm. um, we talk about the di whole digital world. I mean, you know, you and I have talked about this, how you know, we have social media accounts. What happens to them? We have, mm -hmm. you know, we may have a, an online business. What happens to that? Or even if you're not into to, to much of that, you have email. A lot of yeah. older older people, and I'm in that category, although I have more than, than just an email, you have an email account. So what do you do with that? I think there's so much more now to think about than we did when my mother died, which was, you know, decades, several decades ago. So... And this is what I thought the value of the original before I go method course was that that I took where you and I met was Jane opened up my thinking to that kind of thing that there is much more out there to think about. Yeah. Um, have I done it well? Probably not as well as I should. It's still a work in progress for me, and it always will be, I think. But that's what what you, you get this awareness of yeah. how much more that you can do and probably should do. Yeah. Well, let, let's maybe talk a, a little bit more about the before I go method, because we're both facilitators, um, you know, for uh, working on behalf of before I go solutions. And, and by the way, you, you can look them up. Uh, their websites before I go solutions dot com uh, to learn more about them. But let, let's talk a little bit more about this before I go method and, and exactly what it is, because uh, there, there may be uh, you know people interested in, in pursuing it. So it's. Um, it's a program. It's like it has a, like a curriculum. It's an online program, um, essentially uh, seven sessions uh, long. There is a, a training um, part of it. We'll, we can talk about that a little bit later. But the uh, Before I Go Method really is uh, a program to help you uh, create your own end of life plan. And, uh, and I should say, you know, the, sort of the, the, the motto um, for Before I Go Solutions is making end-of-life plans as commonplace as birth plans. And, and it's true. We, we, do, we make plans all the time. It's surprising that we don't make end-of-life plans maybe beyond a will. Yeah, and it's, and it's uh, when I thought about that, I thought, I love that tagline, by the way. Um, but, and people can relate to that. But we have all kinds of other things in our lives that we make plans for. We make wedding plans. Yeah. You know, um, even going through divorce, you may, there are plans. I mean, you, yeah. there's a process, if you will, and things that you really do need to plan for, look out for, and you know. So there are all kinds of things we, we plan about going to college or higher education. We plan about getting jobs. We yeah. do all of those kinds of things, but we don't plan for our death. No. 
And the one thing that is certain. Yes. The one thing yeah. we know is going to happen, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. You might you might make marriage plans, but you don't know if you're going to, you know, hopefully be married forever, but, yeah. you know, not sure. But death is certainly, we do know, you know, yeah. that that is going to happen. Um, yeah, so can, can you say a little bit about, about so if somebody takes the before I go method, I mean, I, I can ask that too, but I'm going to ask you. Um, so, so what would someone expect, you know, if they, they sign up for the course? Well, I think I'm going to take a bigger picture of yeah. that question. We could go into details. The bigger picture view is you get a um, awareness, as I've said, of what's going on. You know, what are the kinds of things that you need to think about? And there may be things that, and I think the the method, the Forego method, covers a lot of detail that you can um, you can th for you to think about. And there are some things that you can um, dismiss. For example. I don't really want a traditional funeral. Um, I'm not interested in pallbearers. Uh, you know, I don't know that I'm going to worry about music. I want mm. some other things. So what the method does is say to me, okay, as someone who wants something that maybe is not traditional, what is out there for me? And you get to you get to look at um, and can consider those. You learn about those kinds of things. Are there others? There's natural burial. There's aquamation, cremation, mm -hmm. all of this. So, and then there's all kinds of other things, you know. Um, so I think it, it, in the bigger picture, it gives you um, a much broader awareness of yeah. what, of how, how you should be thinking about your death, your end of life plan, and what you should be thinking about yeah. um, in your end of life plan. That's so there's the a kind of bigger picture. Yes, and and there's a very obviously a very practical element you know yeah. to it. Um, there, it comes with a hundred-page workbook as well. And you've mentioned that uh, referred to it earlier, in which you can um, keep uh, document the details. Um, obviously, you know contact details, but even things like um, tradespeople that um, you know you're surviving. Um, uh, family or, or partner, or whatever you know, might need to need to know uh, your passwords. Very important, you know, passwords to computer, to our smartphones and other devices, uh, and, and so on. But also have have memberships and subscriptions. And yeah. So, for example, I have cats. So I get I have between Amazon and Chewy, I have you know subscription cat food. Um, subscription, yeah. I should say, for cat food to be delivered automatically to me. Um, yeah. Someone has to stop that um, at some yeah. point, you know. But I also have, I get magazines or I get online kinds of things. All those kinds of things have to be, you have to document them. Yeah, they do. You know, at some, and many of them require, you know, I have automatic renewals for some stuff, which means I'm paying for them. Um, those kinds of things that we don't think about very often yeah. um, because they just automatically come to us. They get renewed on your credit card, you pay your credit card, and then you don't think about it anymore. Yeah. So those yeah. kinds of things also have to be documented. Yeah, and usually that's the executor of your of your will, so you obviously want that in place, but you want uh, to have spoken, you want to have had a conversation with your executor, so your executor knows um, all of all of the details of these things that you're you're mentioning, and, and a lot more. So, I think that's the other thing I really like about the course is that it provides a, a, a safe space to have these, um, just to begin talking about these conversations, and um, we you know we begin by talking about your own values around uh, life and death and. You know, Diane, you asked an important question earlier. We talked about quality of life 
and quantity of life. Yes. Um, what what is more important? You know, what would you be willing to sacrifice? Um, where is the line in which quality would would become very important? You know, more than quantity. And and some of that also in making those those are tough decisions to make because yeah. you can't account for every every single thing that may happen to you. Um, and and there are doctors are are there to save your lives. Doctor, the medical profession is there to save your life. And if that means another surgery or more drugs or more um, machines, if you will, that's where that's what they're taught. That's what their profession is supposed to do. It's up to you as the patient to say, if that drug is going to make me sick every day, but it will extend my life by six months or three months, I need to be able to make that decision for myself. Do I want to live? That's the quality of life part of it. And then the quantity of life, you know, do I want to live those extra three months just nauseous all the time or, yeah. or, or in pain all the time or whatever? It's that kind of thing that we, those are the kinds of decisions that we need to make and that the medical profession can't make for us. No, and, and neither neither do we as facilitators. Um, so, you know, if you're anyone listening, you know, we don't make the decisions for you. We don't tell you uh, what is the best decision, but, you know, we'll educate you. We provide you with information, um, point you to resources so that you can be much better informed so that um, when it comes time to give consent, it, it's in, it really is informed consent. Yes, um, and, and your family will often, you know, can be on the same page, you know, yes. yeah. And so two, two important things. One is that we raise questions like that. These are the things you need to think about, you know, that, that quality of life, quantity of life, the value of that. And the other is having that conversation, as you say. Yeah. You, you, I can think about it in my head, but if it doesn't get out of my head, then yeah. no one's going to know. And that means that my family members or whoever is around me at the time, whoever I designate to make decisions for me, if I can't, isn't going to be able to make those decisions. Yeah, yeah. So there's a so there is a um, a kind of sort of philosophical side to to the before I go method program and a very practical uh, side to it as well. And as facilitators, we try to integrate those two and uh, and provide you with an opportunity. Uh, to talk and to share, um, but at the same time we hold you accountable um, and uh, and help you um, you know get through the program. We know that everybody works at their at a, their own pace, but we do try to we well we do provide a structure um, and and a program uh, to help you do that. And, yeah, and I think the 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 other thing that I find uh, interesting in all of this, or I find very beneficial, is that if you come to the program with a, with a background um, or some training in what we would call the death services industry. Maybe you're a death doula or um, a funeral celebrant or a minister or even a nurse or a doctor. You can take this course and incorporate it into what you do. Yeah. But the nice thing about it is if you come with none of that background, because I came with none of that background to into end of life planning. Um, but I'm able to incorporate it into the things that work for me. And as a coach, that's important for me. I, I wanted to incorporate it into my ability to coach. 
And so I could do that. And as a trainer, as someone who was trained to train people, um, as a public speaker, uh, I can take those kinds of experiences and skills also and bring that whole end of life plan, uh, my end of life plan facilitating into that. So you don't have to be a part of the death services industry in order to be a facilitator. Yeah, yeah, I, exactly. I mean, we've had people uh, undertake the training, for example, um, who've come from a legal profession. Um, we've had um, Reiki therapists, uh, counselors, um, uh, people just just you know who've come from other um, uh, other services or uh, backgrounds, um, you know, who are who are just interested in getting a plan done for themselves. Yeah, and and sometimes it's just someone who who says. You know, I watched my grandparents, mm. my parents go through this, or my aunts or uncles or family members or friends, and I realized there's got to there's, there's something's got to change. There's got to be yeah. more to this. What can I do? And they come into the program, and when you ask them, why did you do this? They'll they'll have a story about a family member perhaps who wasn't prepared, yeah. and they had to make these decisions, kind of like what you did with your father, mm-hmm. and say, I don't want this to happen to anybody else. You know, yeah, I want exactly. to be, or I want to be able to help other people not go through what I went through. Yeah. Um, and I think that's the value of this of this program is that you can do this. I, I remember talking to one person who said, um, I just want to do this for my family. You know, I just want to know enough to be able to do this for my family, to help my family so that they don't go through what I went through with my grandfather. You yeah. know, um, and that's OK, too. That's OK, yeah. too. It's very important. Let's say, too, that both Diane and I um, offer the Before I Go method. Um, so you can contact uh, Diane at dianedevivo.com and myself at myendoflifeplan.ca. Uh, and we'll put the, the, the details of our, our websites up. Um, but you can contact either one of us. We both offer um, the Before I Go method and we'll, <clears throat> in a sense, walk you through it, hold your hand through it and um, hold you accountable and support you. Yeah. And yeah, hold you accountable. I mean. You know. Yeah, hold you accountable. Yeah, yeah. We're 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 both good at uh, good at doing that. Um, but I but you know, generally it'll take you know three three months or less to finish the plan. And when you think about that, um, you know, to imagine yourself three months from now and you've got the plan um, completed up to that point, because we we always say that it's a it's a lifelong process. Um, once it's, you know, you've got something written down, it's not written in stone. Um, we, of course, we encourage you to review it regularly and to change it appropriately as life circumstances change. Um, so it's an ongoing uh, process. Um, and, we, you know, we're always there to, to um, you know, to answer questions, provide you with resources and, and support and so on. But imagine having something, uh, imagine having talked to your family um, and uh, and those that um, you know are important to you, uh, you've talked about these things and how good that would feel to know that you've got support for the future <clears throat> when the time comes, or that you have helped your parents um, put something together and and you know imagine the peace of mind that that can bring. Yeah, and and you're right, the peace of mind for for you for doing it yourself, but also what an incredible gift it is for those. Mm. loved ones you have who are the ones who are going to have to deal with with you if you you know uh, medically um, but also after you're gone what a gift it is for them 
to know that they know exactly what you want so that their focus when after you die is based on grieving your loss, celebrating your life, rather than trying to do some of these other things, worrying about well, what did he or she want? Um, what do I do with this house full of stuff? What do I do with their pets? What, you know, yeah. all of that sort of thing. It's an incredible yeah. gift to give to those who are the ones who will, will have to deal with your stuff after you die. Yeah. Well, let's uh, maybe we, we, we can finish by talking briefly about the training program. So uh, it may be that people listening to this say, hey, this sounds really interesting. Um, you know, Diane and Michael both both have gone into this um, and, and, and we do this. Um, you know, I certainly um, uh, do this as a kind of uh, not just a service, but, um, you know, we, we do we both earn, um, uh, some, you know, something from this. Um, I, I've never looked at it as, as kind of a full-time thing. It's kind of a supplement to being uh, retired and getting my pension and so on. But it is, I think it's more the service that's the most important thing to me and feeling like I'm doing something purposeful um, and, and useful. Uh, and I think it's something that if you are a funeral director or a lawyer, even my financial advisor at the bank was interested in it because although she helps people with estate planning, she doesn't have she didn't know the the broader picture you know the the other aspects of the work and uh, and she was you know that that interested her so this is something that you can add to maybe something that you that you already do whether you're a death doula or a funeral celebrant or um, a funeral director um, or some you know someone in the in an associated service or the helping professions yes and it, and, and you're absolutely right and I know I've said this before but it does give you that bigger picture of yeah. the whole end of life um, kind of stuff that you have to do. Yeah. So there is a training program uh, available through Before I Go Solutions. Um, the program will be changing uh, such that um, you will be able to, um, you, you will be able to start, you can go to the website beforeigosolutions.com and get the details of that. Uh, lots of details there and you can register there as well. Um, the, the training program is a little longer than the, than the Before I Go method. Um, so it's spread out over um, a slightly longer period of time. Um, but Michael, you we, learn, yeah, go ahead, Diane. The training program is just to make sure, I know we've said this, but let, the training program that we're talking about now is how you become an end of life plan facilitator. Yes. This yes. is how you would help other people complete their end of life plans. Yeah. And the first, the first part of it is, is that you finish your own plan yes. or at least, yeah, you kind of go through the, the, the bits that we described earlier. Um, but then you move on to um, a training, which includes working with groups, understanding how to work with groups. Um, and, uh, and then there, we also go into looking at the marketing and the promotion of yourself. Should you decide to uh, take up this, um, uh, you know, work yourself and, uh, and whether you work with individuals or, or groups, um, you know, we look at that as well. <clears throat> and then there's a kind of, um, you might call it an incubation period. Um, when you finish the, the, the training, you can, uh, you're invited to join the facilitator community where you get to meet with uh, other facilitators, uh, really from around the world, because um, our facilitators are UK, Europe-based, but also throughout America, uh, through the United States and Canada as well. We Australia, uh, Ecuador, we've had some people from Ecuador, France, South Africa, 
um, different places. So it's a great opportunity to meet other facilitators, share your experiences, uh, ask questions, and, uh, and and keep learning. You know, kind of it's part of your professional development. Yeah. Um, because this industry is changing. Um, when yeah. you, you look at uh, even just uh, types of burials, uh, it's changing. But also, the medical profession is always changing and so mm-hmm. and growing. So you start looking at well, there, that that affects that may affect your end of life plan depending on on how the medical profession changes. So we we as a community of facilitators, we talk about those kinds of things. We share information. Um, about that, um, medical aid in dying, um, uh, you know, uh, assisted uh, yeah. dying as well is changing around the world. Um, so those mm-hmm. kinds of things we, we 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 sort of keep up with that community and we and we share it. We do as a not one person, one person alone cannot keep up with all of that. So we as no. a community do that for each other. Yeah, and and so you know when you become a um, a facilitator. Um, you know, the, the program, uh, the Before I Go Method program is available to you to offer to your clients. Um, there are lots of resources which are updated regularly um, and, and support, um, you know, for, for you as a facilitator is there. And there's the option to become a licensed facilitator. And that comes with some other benefits, which you can you, know, you can learn about uh, through the website as well. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's exciting. And I think the other exciting bit about it is that you can bring something of yourself and your own interest to the work. Yeah. So as a storyteller, I'm interested in people's stories and their life stories. So uh, the legacy aspect um, of end of life planning is important to me, and I'm I'm fascinated by helping people um, kind of bring together, you know, what they want to leave behind in terms of themselves and and the the wisdom they've gathered over over the years, and that might be um, you know something that's written down, a kind of life story. Um, it might be um, a collection of photographs or artwork or an audio or video recording. There are a number of ways of of creating a legacy, and and that's something I'm interested in. And and Diane, you have your own passions and interests too. Yeah, uh, and I just want to say before that that I I was I never thought about legacy before um, mm. Michael started and I started talking about it. I what I what what this uh, community of facilitators does is, is with Michael's interest in legacy. It has it has caused me to be interested in it and to learn more about it for myself. For me, um, having had pets all my life and now being um, you know owned by three uh, cats. Um, and having fostered cats and kittens and that sort of thing, I'm interested in making sure that people take care of their pets and how they deal with the grief of, of pets. And we haven't really dealt with grief and we, we don't do that a lot mm-hmm. in the, it's a, kind of a separate subject in the end of life plan, but we do touch on it. But dealing with pets and making sure they're cared for and, and there are legal issues around making sure your pets are taken care of. That's important um, to me. With and also, you know, the decluttering or death cleaning aspect of it too. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just having that triggered by, you know, when my mother died, um, yeah. I've, I've I've looked into that and learned also from other people. Yeah, yeah. So if you're interested, um, go to the BeforeIGoSolutions.com website. Um, if you're interested in uh, undertaking the Before I Go method. 
um, this wonderful program that we talked about. Um, contact Diane at dianedevivo.com or my, myself, Michael Williams, at myendoflifeplan.ca. Um, either one of us would be more than happy to talk to you about it and, uh, and let you know all about how you can get involved in the program. Our websites will, will help you there too. Yes. Diane, this has really been fascinating. I, I've, I've learned more about you. Um, and uh, which is which is interesting. We always laugh because um, Diane and I have never actually met uh, other than through through Zoom. Um, so um, we're becoming technical wizards here, you know. Um, but it's the other nice thing about this kind of online program is the opportunity to meet people in different parts of the world, and uh, and to realize that um, it's the one thing that unites us human beings is our mortality. Um, wherever wherever you are in the world, um, we're kind of dealing with the same questions about what it is to be human and facing our, our mortality and knowing that we don't have to do it alone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Diane, thanks so much. Thanks, Michael. That was fascinating because I learned more about you, too. Great. Well, that's what I guess what it's all about. And I hope our listeners uh, learn something as well. Please send us, you know, any comments you have. Um, you can, uh, well, you can go to, you can find out more about um, Deaf Defying uh, Discussions, the podcast. You can listen to our other episodes. We have a number of them. Um, you can find them on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, wherever you get your, your, your you know, download your podcasts, um, you're likely to find us. Just Google Death Defying Discussions and, uh, and you'll certainly find us. Um, and we're here to talk about all things about, you know, death, dying and end of life matters. And uh, uh, we, uh, we often have guests. Um, and, uh, and sometimes it's just us talking, you know, about, about stuff that interests us. So we hope that it has interested you too, um, made you maybe a little less anxious about mortality. Um, but if you are anxious, that's okay. Um, talk with, talk with someone that you, you trust, um, or you're welcome to, to email either of us and we'd be happy to, to, uh, you know, chat with you as well. Yeah. Thanks very much. Goodbye till next time. Uh, from Death Defying Discussions. Bye-bye. The Death Defying Discussions podcast is produced by Michael Williams and Diane DeVivo. Learn more about Diane DeVivo at her website, dianedevivo.com. And Michael Williams can be found at myendoflifeplan.ca. The Before I Go method is registered to Before I Go Solutions at BeforeIGoSolutions.com. Diane and I hope you enjoyed the podcast, and we look forward to you joining us once again on another episode of Death Defying Discussions. <laughs>